I think it quite appropriate that at Christmas time, the center of the story is a baby. And I think it's quite appropriate that we have our kids on choir, we have our young children in here to help us stay in touch with the youthfulness of Christmas. And what we're going to do now is we continue in our season of Advent. We started that two weeks ago. And we were looking at the blessings of the arrival of Christ. Advent means arrival. It means beginning. And so what we're celebrating is the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we looked at the blessings that come with that. The first week I talked about the importance of hope and how we all need hope. That hope is really, you can't get out of bed without hope. And so we talked about hope. And then last week we talked about peace. And this is the third week. And with each week we've lit a candle. And I've got Sean and Becky Rosendahl down here. They're going to continue in our tradition of Brittany, what did I say? Becky, I'm sorry. My bad. Can we start over? This is Team Rosendahl. How's that? Brittany and Sean, yes. And they're going to read for week three and then light the third candle as we move our way through Advent season. Over to you guys. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. In, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over their flocks. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today a Savior, who is the Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. Today we light the third candle of Advent, the candle of joy. During this time of Advent, we are invited to choose joy that is rooted not in circumstance, but in the truth of the redemption work or the redemptive work that God has already done and will do. We remember the joy that will come to our world when Jesus, the anticipated Messiah, <clears throat> became God with us and brought redemption. In our present challenges, we anticipate the returning King, who with salvation and power and glory will bring the hope of the fulfilled kingdom into being. We look around us at the brokenness of the world. And in the power of Jesus, in the power of Jesus' life and love, choose joy anyway. Well, I'm going to ask Amanda to come out here. And uh, this is something special here. Uh, the Nailers have been coming to our church for about 10 years. And Amanda is a teacher, probably many other things, a mother, a wife. And she has just been growing spiritually, and it's just been neat to watch. Uh, she's about halfway through seminary, and she is going to bring the message today. And this is the first time that she has been by herself to do this, and she is not nervous one bit. So with that, would you welcome Amanda Naylor? I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be up here today. I thank you so much for what we're celebrating today, the joy of the birth of Jesus. God, I pray that anything I say that is not from you would not be heard, 
And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take my words and work in all the people here today so that they can experience the deeper joy that they have access to in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, when I was um, thinking about this message, I kept thinking about a national park that I have been to, Joshua Tree National Park. See, my husband and I um, have made it our goal to visit all of the national parks. I think there's something like 63 of them. We've been to about half. Um, and don't tell my husband, but there are some parks up in Alaska that you have to take a, like a bush plane to, and you get chopped off in grizzly territory, and um, I'm not sure I want to do those ones. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. But Joshua Tree National Park, one of the first ones we went to, it's in Southern California, and it's this really interesting park, because when you enter in on the west, you enter in the Mojave Desert, but as you transition to the east, it becomes the Colorado which is known for being a really arid region, gets less than three inches of rainfall a year. And it's fascinating because as you go through the park, you see the plants, which, which start out as these big Joshua trees that kind of look like these things from the Lorax. They get smaller and smaller and smaller in response to the decrease in rain. I'm really fascinated about how plants and animals can be adapted by God to survive in extreme conditions. So I started looking up what are some of the features of desert plants that enable them to survive. And they have things like waxy skin and needles to prevent evaporation. Um, their roots are shallow to take advantage of all the rainfall that comes their way. And interestingly enough, a lot of these plants will not flower and go to seed unless um, there's substantial rainfall. And even the seeds themselves for some of the plants, they're enclosed, they have this um, resin around them that only gets released when there's a tremendous amount of rainfall. See, these plants are in the business of water hoarding. It's their job to just take as much water as they can get just to survive. Well, as you continue to the park, you reach this little stop. Not many people go there. It's called Cottonwood Grove. And it's this surreal experience because as you walk out your car and you kind of walk up this hill to the grove, it's, it feels like a rainforest. It's this oasis on steroids. It's huge. And it's shocking because you've been in such desolation for so long. But what happens is the palms and the cottonwoods in this area have access to an underwater string that bubbles up some 500 gallons of water a day. They don't have to worry about water hoarding they're in the business of growing and flourishing and multiplying. And so today, as we look at joy, I specifically want to look at the source of our joy. And I know this is probably an oversimplification, but ultimately, I think there are two sources of joy. We have our worldly joy, our temporal joy. And these are things like the joy we get from relationships, or things, accomplishments, experiences. And there's nothing wrong inherently with those things. I think it would be wrong of me to say that we shouldn't have experienced joy watching those adorable children singing, or the joy of a relationship, or the joy of an accomplishment. Those aren't inherently bad things. James 1.17 says that all good and perfect gifts are from above. But if that is all the joy we have access to, we're like those plants in the desert that have to hold on to every moment because we don't know when that next joy is going to come from. I would put to you that there is a deeper sense of joy. There is a transcendent joy that is not a joy in finite created things, 
but joy that comes from an infinite creator. Peter talks about this joy when he's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. And and what's kind of uniting all of these churches, what they all have in common, is they are experiencing a tremendous amount of persecution. Listen to what he writes to them. He says, you love him, being Jesus, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. See, Despite the fact that they're experiencing hardship, they are able to experience inexpressible and glorious joy. How is that possible? He goes on to say, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, their joy was not coming from their circumstance. Their joy was coming from their salvation. They were like the cottonwood spring that had access to a joy that kept going when the worldly joys were slipping away. This is the joy that's worthy of the angelic announcement that we just read about in Luke 2. And this is the joy, the source of joy that we celebrate for Christmas. And I say that often in a culture that is so saturated with convenience and comfort, Even those of us who are Christ followers, myself included, as as I was preparing this message, I was completely convicted at every step along the way um, that sometimes, even though we have access to that joy, we don't draw from it. And so I want to have us explore today the source of joy that transcends our circumstances. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, we're going to start in Luke 2. Um, We're going to start in uh, Luke 2, 8, and I'm going to summarize a little bit because we did just read um, the passage. But in this passage, Jesus has just been born in Bethlehem, and the shepherds are out tending their flocks at night. Suddenly, an angel comes to them and delivers a statement. And they're initially terrified, but the, the angel comforts them. This is what the angel says. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy. And I don't want you to miss the translation of good news because this isn't just like, oh, I've got some good news to share. This is the Greek word euangelion, which is the same word that we get gospel and evangelize from. This is the good news. And what is that good news? Verse 11. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. What is the good news? The good news is the birth of a baby. And who is that baby? Baby, He's given three characteristics. First of all, he's Savior. Now, we have the advantage of reading all of the Gospels and the Epistles, and, and when we know what, what Savior kind of means, it's, it's not necessarily a, a Savior from our circumstances. That, that will come. But a, sa- a Savior that saves us from our sin condition. Because we are all born with a sin condition. And this isn't just sins like these one-off things that we do. It's sin that is so ingrained in us that it changes the way we see people and treat people, the way we treat ourselves, the way we act towards God, the things we do, the things we don't do. We're born with a sin condition, and God, who is holy, 
You know, we, we can't be in that presence unless there is someone to save us from our sin condition. And this is what Jesus has done as a savior. He's also the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that had been prophesied about for almost a millennia. And he's also Lord, which speaks to his divine nature. He's God. And it's almost like the sky, the heavenly host can't even contain their joy in that moment because they burst into song and they sing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. See, the good news of Christmas is the birth of Jesus, our Savior. The good news is that Jesus was born as our Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And so today what we're going to do as we look at Luke 2 in a little more detail is we're going to look at four characteristics of joy that we can get when we are sourced in the good news. When the source of joy is the good news of Jesus, it looks different than worldly joy. And that first difference is that joy sourced in the good news transcends worldly circumstances rather than being dependent on them. I mean, if you think about it, joy came for the shepherds. The shepherds were the very lowest of the socioeconomic class in society. Their work was hard. I, I read an article by um, a shepherd today who uh, says it's tough, it's got to be as tough as boots to do this job. It's, um, it's hard work, it's grueling. I imagine there are times of disappointment. Um, shepherds have to protect their flock from, from robbers and predators and from themselves. I've heard it say that uh, sheep can find a hundred ways to die. I imagine it's hard work. And when we think about joy, we don't first think about people like the shepherds experiencing joy. And yet, they do. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19 says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. See, even in times of hardship, in times of scarcity, we have a source of joy that doesn't dry up. We can rejoice in God, who is our strength. Because we have a God that exists above all of creation. Therefore, our joy is not dependent on anything in creation. And he gives us the gift of walking on the heights. That's not to say this verse isn't saying that he's going to necessarily take us out of our circumstances. But he gives us a heavenly perspective and joy in the midst of hardship. There's a book that I read in uh, college. It's probably a book that only English uh, majors read. It's called Hope Leslie. And there's this line that says, because the world has not given me my joy, the world cannot take it away. We have a joy that transcends worldly circumstances. Now, I want to just make a quick note, um, because I know that there's a lot of people probably today who are going through something really hard. Um, you're grieving. Um, it's, a, it's a hard time of year. And I didn't really realize that until I became a teacher. And I know other teachers can attest that um, it's one of the hardest times of year to teach because 
on the surface, it seems like such a happy time, but there's a lot of people that are really grieving um, and go have trauma kind of associated with the holidays. And so if that's you, I just want you to feel the message of hope that it is possible to experience joy and suffering at the same time. A few weeks ago, Kevin talked about um, the force of suffering and how there's really two forces. There's that centrifugal force that when life is spinning, 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 if you lean away, you're leaning away from God. And, and ironically, the further out you get, the faster it feels like the world is spinning. But centripetal force is, is leaning in. And that's why it's possible to experience joy and hardship because when we lean in and all of those other comforts are stripped away, we recognize that we still have a joy in God. And I can think of one time in my life that, um, that I was there. Um, I'm just specifically, this one comes to mind. I was really um, grieving a loss, and someone um, at church asked me, well, how are you doing? And I kind of surprised myself with my answer because I wasn't planning to say it, but I said, I feel so much joy. And, and I thought about that later, and I realized it's because, I mean, there was no... T- TV binge watching that was going to make the situation better. No one could bring me my favorite Starbucks drink and make the situation better. All that was going to make the situation better was leaning into God and into that relationship. And I felt him hold me and I felt his love. It is possible to experience joy and grief simultaneously. The second characteristic of joy that finds its source in the good news um, I think, I think this is really subtle, but a really important distinction. See, the shepherds were not out searching for joy. There, there's this kind of modern trope right now in books and movies where it's, it's kind of like a modern hero's journey where you have to leave society, you have to go um, on some sort of adventure to find your inner contentment and your inner peace. Uh, movies like, or books like Into the Wild with Christopher McCandless, like any mountaineering bo- uh, book or movie you've ever read or seen, has this idea that you have to leave society and you have to search within for your joy. But that's not what the shepherds are doing. No, they were just living their shepherding lives and joy came to them. See, joy was the result of a divine supernatural encounter. In fact, if you look at the language of of verse 10, it's not even that the angels brought joy The angels brought good news, and some translations say that leads to great joy. See, joy that finds its source in the good news is a byproduct rather than a goal to pursue. And this is probably, like I said, one of the biggest differences between worldly joy and a joy in the good news. Because the world tells us that it is your job to find your joy. And the reason you have to find joy is just for the sake of joy. We have acronyms like FOMO, fear of missing out, YOLO, you only live once. And really what those terms are is this anxiety that if we don't take advantage of every opportunity, we're going to lose our opportunity for joy because we don't know when that's coming again. And so the world tells us to pursue that, that new toy, that new car, that relationship. And again, there is nothing wrong with that, but we have to ask ourselves, What are we pursuing more? Are we pursuing things that are going to bring us joy? Or are we pursuing God? Because I would argue that if you are pursuing things and if I am pursuing things just for the sake of joy because I'm hoping it fills some sort of hole, 
that is idolatry. Um, I've been out this past week with um, bronchitis, interestingly enough, and not contagious. I've been to the doctor. It's all good. Um, but I got to watch movies, which is something I really just don't ever get to do in, um, in my life today. But I was watching The Confessions of a Shopaholic yesterday. Um, I don't know if you've seen this movie. Um, but there's this um, woman who is addicted to shopping, and you kind of see it on her life unravel, her relationships unravel throughout the movie. And uh, at the end, someone says, well, why do you do it? Like, why do you shop? And her words are super simple, but I think really profound. She says, because when I shop, the world gets better. The world is better. And then it's not anymore. And then I need to do it again. Isn't that the truth of pursuing joy? That it feels good for a moment, but then it kind of just evaporates in front of us. It sours. It loses its luster. And this is not a new phenomenon. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11, and I'm just going to kind of skip through for a long section. Um, the writer says, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I also amassed silver and gold. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. The word wind there um, is the Hebrew word hevel, which means vapor. It's this great image of pursuing something and just your fingers go right through it because it's something that we can't hold on to and keep. But there's a better way. Because joy that comes from the good news is a byproduct of pursuing God. Instead of pursuing joy, we pursue God, and he gives us the gift of joy. Galatians 5, to 23 speaks to that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is one of those fruits. And it's not something that we can just try really hard to produce in our lives. But no, as we pursue God, joy builds in us. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling myself, that it's a much less tiring and much healthier way to live. So I'm asking you the same question I've been asking myself for the last few months um, as I've been preparing this message, especially around the holidays. Am I pursuing joy more than I'm pursuing God? Um, because pursuing God will ultimately lead to greater joy. I'm going to pick the verse back up in um, verse 15. We're going to see how the shepherds respond to this announcement of good news. It says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. See, I know for me, I've glossed over this um, verse. It kind of seems like a transition to get them to, to the manger where they need to go. But I wonder, and you kind of have to use your imagination a little bit because scripture doesn't explicitly say, but what was that decision process like? Like, what other options did they have? A lot of historians think that the sheep around the Bethlehem area were used for temple sacrifice. Like, these, they could have been... Um, you know, watching these sheep that would produce substantial income. Um, certainly their livelihood is, is on the line, but they got this message to go and they had a decision to make. And I don't think we should make light of their decision because they ultimately, what they did is they trusted 
the message they had received, and they responded with obedience to go and see for themselves. See, the third characteristic of joy that is sourced in the good news is it depends upon one's trust in God rather than trust in self or circumstances. There is a connection between our trust and our joy. We have to trust that God is powerful enough, that he's loving enough, so that when we step out um, in obedience, we know he's there to catch us. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart rejoices, and I praise him with my song. When we trust God and when we step out in obedience, joy is a result. It's actually my favorite part about speaking, um, preparing a message. God allows me to experience the things that I'm talking about, and sometimes that can be really hard. Um, In the past few months as I've been preparing, I feel like my joy has been challenged from quite a few different angles. And I've really had to, even, even this last week with you know, getting bronchitis right before the first time I'm up here to speak by myself, I've really had to lean back and just trust that God is going to show up and he's either going to protect me from coughing during this message or I'm going to cough and it's going to be okay. I have to depend on God. And that is the most joyful part for me about speaking is that it forces that dependence. Fourth and finally, let's pick it up in verse 17. This is what they do after they see Jesus. I love this. After seeing them, meaning Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. See, the shepherds, in response to the good news, they could not contain their joy. Their joy leaked out of them. It yearns for external expression. That is the fourth characteristic of joy sourced in the good news. It yearns for external expression rather than self-edification. Their joy became evident in two ways. It became evident in their mission, and it became evident in their manner. See, the first thing they did after seeing Jesus is they went out and reported what they had seen. Some commentators call them the first evangelists. Joy is a gift that comes as a response to the good news, but it's not a gift that is meant just for us. It's meant for us to spread to others. You know, I love that in this church we hear Matthew 28, 28, 18 to 20 frequently. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That is a command to us. And let that command be a result of the joy that leaks out of us at what we've experienced in the good news. And as as Kevin likes to say, this one's for free. If you um, are experiencing a slump, if you're having a hard time connecting with your joy, might I suggest to you that being out on mission might be a really good step for you to take. I know for me, I have a very active internal thought life. I, I call myself a spiraler. I just start thinking and thinking and obsessing. And when I step out of myself in service, I find that joy restored. And so might that be something um, to consider? And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. 
So the shepherds, their joy was evident in their mission, but it was also evident in their manner. See, they returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God. And I imagine that it was just all over their face, the joy that they were experiencing. I wonder if anyone, and we don't know, was anyone left behind? Did they all go? But I wonder if there were any shepherds left behind, that they must have been like, oh, man, because they could just see it on their faces, like they had missed out on something incredible. When I first started preparing this message, kind of the first place that my head went was looking at the difference between happiness and joy. Um, Because that's something I feel like I've been taught. Like, there's happiness and there's joy. One's bad, one's good. Um, But very quickly in investigating in in the Bible, I I learned that while English does make a differentiation between those words, the Bible really uses them often synonymously. And while I do understand the, the, the difference in English. Sometimes I think it can be really harmful if we separate those too much because it's almost like we're saying that you can be glum but joyful or I have joy but it's a cantankerous joy. I had to throw in like a big word, cantankerous joy, irritable joy. Like that's not a, that's not a thing. Our, our joy, it doesn't mean that we're bubbly, happy, optimistic people all the time, but it means that our happiness and our joy from our salvation is leaking out in our manner in our interactions with other people, that they see something different in us that, you know, when Paul says in Philippians 2.15, that we would shine like stars in the world. So I ask you, is your joy leaking out in your mission and in your manner? And so we're going to end by looking at how we cultivate joy. These, think of these as, as your action steps. And the first, we can't, can't get around this one, to have a joy that is sourced in the good news of Jesus, we have to be connected to Jesus. And so if if you are here today just checking things out, you've kind of been on the fence, I invite you to just really reflect and pray. I invite you to put your trust in Jesus as Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Because as I said earlier, we have a sin problem. But Jesus, through his entire life, living a perfect life, dying a gruesome death, he did it so that we could claim his perfection as our own and we can be right with God so that we can have joy, not just for now, but for eternity. Many of us have already done that. We are connected to Jesus. We've put our trust and faith in Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are tapped into that deeper sense of joy. So much can get in the way, external circumstances. And I don't know about you, but positive circumstances, good circumstances, almost, um, they're almost harder for me because when things are going really well, it's easy to settle for those things. But we have to tap into that deeper source. And so I challenge you to be at home in God's love. That's borrowed from the message version of of John 15, abiding, be at home in God's love. And there are three things um, that I think we need to do, and these are going to be out of order on the screen. That's okay. Um, The first is that we want to spend time with God. How can we have joy in a relationship when we are not actively in that relationship? And this is such a hard time of year to remember to do that. Things get so busy. Um, But this year, I refuse to let the busyness of Christmas overtake the time that I spend with God in prayer, in reflecting on his word, in worship. And the more that we spend time with God, 
the more it becomes clear what obedience looks like. The things that he's telling us he wants us to do, the things he's telling us he doesn't want us to do anymore. May I suggest to you that stepping out in that trust and dependence, stepping out in obedience is going to lead to so much joy. And thirdly, allow God to put you in positions that necessitate a posture of trust. I'm not talking about like unwise, unsafe positions. I'm talking about the things, and you probably know what they are, the things that have been on your heart that you've just been a little hesitant to step into because they're scary. You're not sure what it's going to be like. Maybe it's as we go to three services and you've been feeling, you know, called to serve in kid zone or in another way, but you've just been kind of nervous. May I suggest to you that stepping out and serving and putting your dependence on God is going to produce so much joy. Um, I, if you, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I love missions. I um, have work that I do in Guatemala. And uh, one of my favorite things about missions, it's selfish if I'm being honest, it's that when I am on the mission field and all of the other comforts and those things that I usually can fall back on um, are gone, and when all I have is God, like there is so much joy in that. So if you've been on the fence about doing a mission trip or in serving in some way, I encourage you to do so. So Christmas is going to be boxed up before we know it. If you're like me, I, I make my husband put the Christmas tree down because I get so sad, and so I just leave the house while he does it. Um, it's like one of the wonderful gifts that he gives to me. Um, but it's all, you know, all going to be wrapped up. But we have a joy that is deeper and more long-lasting. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, The joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the distress of the cross. Therefore, it is invincible and irrefutable. Invincible joy, irrefutable joy. So I challenge you, you know, don't settle for being like those trees in the desert that have to take every drop of moisture and hoard it for yourself. Be in the business of the trees in that cottonwood grove that grow and they flourish and they multiply. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the message of joy. I thank you so much that we have access to a joy that is so much deeper than the circumstances of this world. And God, I pray that you would give each of us discernment to learn what it looks like to tap into that deeper source of joy. And I pray that we would be a church where our joy leaks out in our mission, in our service, and just also in our manner in interacting with the world. And I pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.